You are getting ready to listen to the voice of Dr. Radi Ferguson, 2004 Olympian, four-time national judo champion, Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, author, speaker, and coach. So, welcome to another edition of Coffee with Radi. I want to talk about something that is... It's been on my mind all weekend and really um, comes to the forefront a lot of my business because every martial arts business has a, I don't know if you call it, it's called an attrition rate or a failure rate where people start and then they, and then they, and then they quit or they stop. Um, and I've, I've been looking at everything. I've been looking at the effect of divorce on on decision making in society. Um, there's something that was that's in the Harvard Business Review um, about called the Great Resignation. Uh, there's a period of time, I believe, in April 2021, where I think it was the most resignations in the country, uh, where people are are quitting and we have a we have this this habit of of quitting um i had to look at the the default rates on mortgages and car payments and when they happen and what time they happen um i wanted to see the things that we agree to on a long-term basis that we that we stop doing um and maybe today i have more questions than i do answers um, hey, what's going on, cuz? But I mean, I got on Google Scholar. I've done. I mean, I'm talking about this week, and I really did a deep dive on on quitting, and I came up with a couple things as it pertained to pertain to quitting. And I'm the three things that I came up with were one, people quit when what they are experiencing exceeds what they believe they can handle. And two, people quit when lessening the pain becomes more important than the pursuit of the prize. And number three, people quit when the discomfort affects the initial decision. So if you made a decision, and I, I'm only using, people know that I went through a divorce, but I'm, I'm only using the reason why I used, looked up divorce and I looked up mortgages and I looked up car payments is because the word mortgage, when you break it down, it means to basically be engaged with death, um, something that you do on a long term. Um, most of the time, from a religious standpoint, when you look at the vows that people take, most people take their religion serious. They take what they say in front of God serious and they take the things that they say serious. But over a period of time... And, and tea is a thing too. The time, the the effect of time over a period of time, people lessen the impact of what they said and what they agreed to. It's like if somebody owes you a thousand dollars, and then ten years goes by, they feel like they don't owe you the money anymore <laughs> because time has gone by. But no, you said you're gonna pay back that money. You still owe that money, even though you feel like you don't owe it because so much time has passed. Um. When we look at the things that we say when we get married, we make huge agreements that we have 
little to no intention of maintaining. Um, like the have and the hold from this day forward until death do you part. Like people don't, and for richer, for poor, for, like when you look at all the things, for better, for worse, when you look at all the things, there's a, is a situation where even within that construct, people say I've had enough and then they exit. Now in life, people also say I've had enough on things and then they exit or something comes around better. You're at a job and something comes around better. Then you exit. You quit one job to go get better at another job. Um, and there's no problem with doing that. I'm just looking at the at the effects of quitting and the reason why people quit and basically the driver to to switch, because when you quit, you actually switch. You switch from what you were doing to something else. Uh, sometimes those things end up being better. Sometimes they end up being worse. But the reason why you you switch or you quit at that particular time is because what you're doing at at the initial point when you make that decision is no longer desirable for you, perceptively. Um, the reason why I say perceptively because you could be on a treadmill walking for an hour and you decide to get off at 47 minutes because perceptively it's no longer desirable. Um, In my study, I had to look at this situation where there was a group of um, rats and or mice that they that the that the technicians in the lab caught and they put them in water to time how long it would take for them to drown. Basically, a test of their resilience. Let me write that down because that, that is a point that I wanted to get to in the discussion that I do not want to forget. Um, it was a basically test of their resilience and on the average time the mice drowned in two minutes The only thing that impacted the experiment was Later on when the mice were drowning for the for the next set of mice at like the minute and a half minute 45 point they pulled the mice out of the water and Then they did the drowning experience again and the mice lasted for hours sometimes a day and the reason that that happened was because there was hope that they would be saved. So when I, when I was looking at quitting, I had to look at the duality of being resilient and having hope and then the concomitant relationship between the building of resilience with instilling hope and then I what I had to do is I had to look at the 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 external factors that were on the 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 testing process of the laboratory mice, laboratory rats, where somebody came in and provided them with hope. Now, when you're coaching, all right, the process in and of itself is very rough because those same laboratory technicians 
or people who were doing the experiment, those same people provided the water for the mice to drown. <laughs> and they watched some of those mice drown. And then they provided a helping hand, which was then perceived by the mice as hope. And when I looked at all the like the main factors that cause people to quit, like when when what they are experiencing exceeds what they believe they can handle, when the the lessening of the pain becomes more important than the pursuit of the prize, and when the discomfort affects your initial decision. Because when you get in the water, like those mice, your initial decision is to survive, to swim, to tread, to make it. And then the discomfort gets so bad that you just decide to stop swimming and drown. And there was a time that I did a speaking tour with the Navy SEALs and I was able to go train some of the SEALs um, at their um, amphibious aquatic training center in Virginia. And we were talking about drowning. And they said, man, most people drown because they quit. It's not that it's because they it's not because they can't keep treading the water. They just they just give up hope and they just quit. They just don't believe anybody's coming. He said, you have to believe that somebody is coming. He said, you have to believe that something or somebody is coming. He said, it will allow you to survive for a long period of time. Now, we have the question that is upon us at this particular time of where is hope? Like, where is hope? So, if, if I mean, if you look at the, if you look at the, the process of, of quitting and how people quit and why they quit, like, wh how how do you find hope? You've, you've been you've been to sporting events. You've watched basketball games. You've watched track meets. You've watched the Olympics. You've watched you've watched races. You've seen you watch wrestling matches. You watch MMA. You've seen people get to the point where they just they just quit. And when you when you have a trained eye, you can you can even see it where the other people can't see it. You can see this point where the per per person just concedes and they just they agree to lose. As my friend TC Dancer used to tell me at the Olympic Training Center. He said, there's a point where a lot of athletes, they just make an agreement to lose. And the, the question then is, where, where's the hope? I had to really look at that experiment with the mice because the mice weren't given a Quran. They were not given a Torah. They weren't given a Bible. The mice weren't given biblical scriptures. The mice weren't given an, uh, a motivational speech. Uh, the mice weren't given a pep rally. Uh, the mice were provided with hope. And... 
as much as we would like the mice to be resilient, as much as we could have trained the mice. And when you look at the experiment, they got some of the roughest and hardest and meanest mice that they thought were going to, and rats that they thought were going to make it and they drowned. And as much as we would like to believe that the, the building of resilience or our training or the training that we get or the training that we give as coaches builds up the resilience for the person to win, the question is, where's the hope? Like, wh where's the hope? Like what makes a Michael Jordan Michael Jordan to the point where when he's down, when he was down by that many points in the game, that he just believed that if you gave him the ball, he could bring it back. Like where where does this hope come from? Because when we look at the experiment, the hope comes from the outside. If you go to the Christian theoretical framework, then the hope is intertwined within the faith. You have the, the, the faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Biblically, the Bible through the scriptures breaks down hope on a logical and mathematical level as zero. Because faith is a substance of things hoped for. That which you hope for has no substance and that which you cannot see has no evidence. So biblically, it even allows us to understand that hope doesn't exist in the natural. On a natural level, when the mice are in the water, before anybody offers a helping hand, they have no hope because hope doesn't exist. The only way that hope existed is when somebody provided, Jesus, don't make me preach this thing. When somebody provided a welfare program, when somebody provided a hint of socialism, when somebody provided a piece of help, when somebody provided something that, that, that belonged to them, to somebody else, when somebody decided to give, when somebody decided to plant, when somebody decided to seed, when somebody who did have decided to give some, something to somebody who did not have, when somebody who was had, had more decided to give to the people who had less, when the people who sat in the situation that we would call high decided to bestow something on the people who were low, when the people who could breathe helped the people who couldn't breathe, when when the people who who had helped the have-nots that was when hope was instilled so where's the hope I will tell you where the hope is and I'm, let me bring it back all the way but I did a lot of study all right people who are married will always tell you be careful of hanging around people who are what? Who are single and who are divorced. Why? Because the way that they speak and the things that they say and the things that they do are very different. They will give you hope in a different direction. The people will also tell you in the, in the making money space, 
if you want to make money, then you need to change your circle because you need to be around people who have more money. Because why? Because the things that they say and the way that they behave and the things that they do is just different than the people that you're around. And if we move into the Christian theoretical space, then we also know that based upon the things that I just said, there's an undergirding of those particular things per the scripture of faith comes by hearing, which means that the people that you're around and and the things that they say and what they say to you and what they say around you and what you hear through your ear gate will provide you with a certain level of hope. And then that hope will then build your faith because when you hear something, you're going to move in the, when you hear something in the cognitive realm, all right, in the, in the kind of, it, it's going to affect you in the affective realm. And it's going to make you move or behave differently in the psychomotor realm. So the things that you hear have an effect on the things that you do and how you feel about the things that you're doing. When people don't seed into your life and tell you that you can make it and that you can do it and that they are proud of you and that they they want to see you do well, and they don't do those things. And if they don't, if they don't give you the tools while telling you those things. They're not providing any hope. See, if if those people who were doing the experiment <clears throat> were watching the, the mice drown and die and begin to motivate them through speeches and to read scripture to them and sing songs and to tell them they need to work harder or tell them they need to pull themselves up by their mouse straps. Those mouse will continually drown and die. What the people who were doing the experiment had to realize was they bought the bucket, they put the water in there, and they also placed the mice in the water. The study of the process of quitting helped me with my coaching because this weekend I said I have to provide an opportunity for the mice to swim. I have to provide a bucket for containment. I have to provide water for the struggle. I have to have an eye for the struggling process. But I also need to make sure that I pull them before they die. The problem with the struggle is it takes an expert eye to know when to pull them. I can tell you right now, after coaching for years, I have a better eye of when to pull them. And when I was younger, I did not have the same eye that I have now. I believe that in the coaching process, it's your job to help the athlete or the client 
develop what we call resilience. Angela Duckworth wrote a book called Grit that I would highly recommend for anyone listening. Um, I think Tim Grover has two books that he's written uh, that I would highly recommend too. He was a strength and conditioning coach for um, Michael Jordan. One of his books was is Winning uh, that I just I read recently, and the other one is, and I'm going to look it up right now because it's on the tip of my tongue. But what I'm speaking is it's escaping me. Uh, the other book is called Relentless. Relentless and Winning by Tim Grover and Grit by Angela Duckworth. In the relationship of quitting, because quitting is a relationship. You make a relationship with quitting just like you make a relationship to persevere. What's required is for you to not give up hope. What's difficult is you don't have any hope if no hope was given to you. And in my study, I was reading a book. I'm looking up right now by uh, Nicholas Wolfinger. It's like understanding the, the, the divorce cycle, the children of divorce, and their own marriages. And I'm going to read an excerpt to you and then go back to what I was talking about. It says, a, a seminal finding in the scholarly research on families is that divorce seems to be transmissible and cycles through generations. First identified in the 1930s, the cycling of divorce has been amply documented by Paul Amato, Larry Bumpus, Norville Glenn, and other distinguished scholars. The crux of the idea is that the family structure of origin powerfully affects marriage formation and marital stability in the adult offspring of divorce. Put simply, the children of divorce are more likely to end their own marriages than are people from intact families. Thus, the more children a given divorce couple have, the greater number of divorces expected in the next generation. With each generation, the number of divorces in the family potentially increases. The astonishing proliferation of divorce in America over the last 40 years, with corresponding increases in other Western countries, has become a major social issue. Now, why am I mentioning that? I'm mentioning that because based upon what we're talking about contextually of stopping and of quitting and of hope, those individuals who come from intact families watch people go through a string of problems and issues, but they still have hope. The people who don't come from that, they have no hope that the thing will stay together and inevitably will fall apart. I want to tell you this, and like I said, I studied divorce and I studied the, the mice and the rats and the quitting and the grit and resilience, and I, I looked at all these things this weekend. Um, I looked at and I looked at mortgages and I looked at um, uh, when people quit their job and why they quit their job and why they move jobs. I, I looked at a lot of things, um, and I would I would encourage you to do too, and I'd I'd encourage you to do so on Google Scholar, not Google. As a coach, I'll give you my advice on 
on the coaching process of how to instill hope. The struggle is still the struggle. Um, if I'm sitting there on the edge and I'm watching you and I'm telling you you're not going to drown, you think you're going to drown, and, and you just need to stop because you think you're going to drown, and you got to stop and you got to go. Um, then there's a level of trust between the coach and the person who's in the water. Um, when it comes to the parenting process, I have watched and I've seen parents do this with children. And I'm, I'm going to speak in the sporting contest because it happens all the time. And it's a very layered discussion because there's an argument that the parent is trying to offer the child some, some breadth and not just depth in terms of their maturation experience in terms of the growth process. But I've watched parents switch kids from sport to sport to sport to sport to sport to sport as soon as something no longer gets fun. And what happens is every sport, especially in the United States, they started off with a little piece of fun and it starts fun and then it gets hard and when it gets hard, the kid quits and he starts another sport. And he starts to start a sport and he likes it and is having fun. Then they hard and they quit and they start another sport. Then they like the sport and it gets hard and then they quit and then they start another sport. Then they get in this cycle of telling their parents, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like that. Or the parents, then they experience the difficult process of coaching as the level gets higher at each stage. And then they just commit to quit. And the reason why they commit to quit is because they don't commit to stay they come into the process saying we're just going to see how we like it if you read the books if you read talent is overrated if you read the talent code if you read bounce by matt saeed um if you read these books, you read outliers by malcolm gladwell you'll see that the the parents of the high achievers in many sports and areas especially like chess those parents made a decision about what their children were going to do before they were born and they stuck to the to the format and the plan and they made sure it got done as talented and gifted as you believe or you would like to believe that venus and serena williams are let me assure you that they aren't as talented as you think they are very well trained and very well disciplined and somebody early had to make a decision on how they were going to train those two children and then not deviate from it, whether they liked it or not. Let me make this personal. I trained my children in, in judo. Both of my kids were national champs when they were younger. Um, they got away from it for a little piece of time. Um, through my divorce process and then uh, they never stopped completely but the level at, at their I had less control over the process of their training um, I watched them come back and do well at the U.S. Open with Rufus winning the Golden Score Division at the U.S. Open this past summer. And I can tell you as a parent, 
there have been many times when my kids didn't want to do judo anymore. They said they didn't want to do it. I remember one time um, during my divorce process when my ex-wife said, the kids don't want to do judo anymore. It, it, I don't, my parents have been married for 49 years. Um, I, I, I'm 47 years old. I'm not going to allow a 9, 10, 11, 12, 14, 16 year old to make a decision that is a lot more pregnant than the than the lessening of the discomfort at the time. I'm not gonna allow somebody to make a decision like that with eight, nine, 12, 14 years of experience on this planet that's gonna override a decision of someone who's experienced and someone who has knowledge and understanding. I'm not, I'm not allowing children to make a decision under my care. This is not happening. Now, a lot of people disagree with that approach. People disagree with that approach. And I respect the people who disagree with that approach. I will say this. Um, the dog wags the tail. The tail does not wag the dog. If, if if I ask my children when they were younger what they wanted for dinner, they'll tell me ice cream and macaroni and cheese. My kids don't make that decision. And I tell parents when they come into my dojo all the time, they say, well, I want to see if the kid likes it. I said, I'm not signing a deal with a kid. I'm signing a deal with you. I said, I'm not concerned if the kid likes it. I'm concerned if you like it. What do you want your child to get from the process? Because your child's not going to always like it. And when they don't like it, what are you going to do? You're going to quit? If that's the case, I, I had a conversation with a parent and they were like, well, I need to see if he likes it first. I handed the lady back her, this happened this summer, I handed the lady back her credit card and I recommended three other places for her that were right down the street. I said, man, I think you have, I think you have better success in those f facilities than you were here. I said, I don't think that your rearing practices of your child are in line with the practices inside his dojo. And I think we're going to butt heads later on down the line. Respectfully, I don't not arguing. I'm not respectful because it's, that, that has to be a good fit. And I am not allowing kids to make a decision that should be made by an adult. And somebody says, well, where's the space for the child to make the decision? Here's the space for the child to make the decision. School starts at nine twenty five. Would you like to get up at 8 or would you like to get up at 8.15? Your teeth have to be brushed. Would you like Colgate toothpaste or would you like to use Aquafresh? The kitchen has to be cleaned. Would you like to clean the kitchen this morning or do you want to wait to clean it tonight? See, those are the choices that the that children make in the house. That's it. We're going to church. Would you like to go to the early morning service? Would you like to go to the later service on Sunday? Or would you like to go to church on Saturday night? 
Those are the, we're not making a choice of if you want to go to church or not. There's we are going to bracket the 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 options, and then you can make a choice of the options that are available. We're going to practice. We're going to judo practice. Would you like to? Would you like an easy day of practice, or would you do? Do you want to do what everybody else is doing? I like an easy day. Do you need a break today from practice? Yes, I need a break. Then stay home. I give you a break. Stay home. I'm not asking you if you want to go to practice or not. I mean, if you want to do the sport or not, I'm not asking you that. You do the sport based upon the agreement that we made. If we say, hey, I want you to do it for the season, you do it for the season. Oh, let me get on this point. This happened on my son's football team, but I think it happens on every team. I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell you, if you're a parent and you allowed, you allowed your, your kid to do this, I'm telling you, if nobody else told you before, you, it, it is weak. It's weak sauce. It's weak sauce for your child to start a, a season and then quit just because they're not playing. On every team, there's going to be people who play. And there's going to be people who don't play. And the people who don't play, they're still needed on the team because you, hey, you have a scout team. You got first team, second team, third team. You got... You got special teams. So you have a lot of things on that team. And just because your kid isn't playing, for you to tell your kid it's okay to quit, that's horrible as a parent. Shame on you. What you tell your kid is, no, you started the season, you finished the season. And then if you don't want to do it anymore, that's fine. But you don't quit in the middle of the season. You do not quit in the middle of the season. You don't do it. You just don't do it. You don't quit because you don't quit because I'm not playing, so I quit. You don't quit. It has to be. It's unbelievable. Once the task is once begun, never leave it till it's done. Be the labor great or small, do it well or not at all. Listen, you just do the task. You just don't leave the task. You just you just finish. You finish. Get in the habit of completing things. Get in the habit of finishing things. Really. I think the the takeaway from this discussion as I close is, and you know what? I'm going to tell you something. And I think, Brother Juan, I'm glad you're listening. I thought about you this morning before I did this talk. I was um I was driving Roddy back from school. I was driving back from Roddy's school after I dropped her off this morning. And in the discussion of quitting, I was thinking about you. I was thinking about your your karate. I was thinking about um, your jujitsu. And I told myself, I said, this dude, I said, he's never, he's never going to be able to do, you know, some inverted, upside down, X guard, funky jujitsu stuff. He's not, I said, he's never going to, he's never going to do it. I said, and he's in a space where, He's not going to the, the, the master's worlds. He's not. I said, he's, he's not going to do it. I said, but, and this was, I was thinking about this from my discussion. I said, if he never quits, I said, he will become a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I went back to that, to that saying that people say is a black belt is just a white belt who never quit. 
And the thing about the martial arts process and the grading process of martial arts, man, martial arts, it gets difficult. Man, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get ringworms. You're going to get staph infection. You're going you're gonna to have, sometimes you have surgeries. Sometimes you have, a, you have a hernia, pull groin, pull muscle, dislocated fingers. I mean, like it's, it's a long process. And there are plenty of times when you really, really want to quit. There's plenty of times you want to quit. Hey, thanks, Sean. And I'm, I'm doing it today, Sean. And you know, it's, this is basically the soft, this, this is basically the soft version of the version I did the other day without, without any cursing. So I just, I, I needed to make a soft version so that people can get the same thing the other day if they were offended by the cursing. So I, I wanted to make two versions, uh, Sean. Um, what I was really, pleased about when I was watching you Juan is one and you too Sean is that Sean from Australia you can literally see the projection of those people who are going to be black belts later on based upon how they govern themselves during the pandemic I want you to I want you to take notes on that somebody write that down the people who were in martial arts how they govern themselves through the pandemic, how they train through the pandemic, is a is a new is a huge indicator if they're going to become black belts or not. I had somebody in my dojo who did not train through the pandemic quit, quit, not quit. Said, you know I. Dr. Ferguson, I just, and I find another place and I have to do my schoolwork. First he had to do his schoolwork. And then, um, then after he did his schoolwork, then he told me he found another place to train. I said, hey man, that's cool, man. I hope you find another dojo that, that best suits you. Um, that, you know, they may sell some, you know, I'm not going to say that. I was getting ready to say something bad. I was, I was, I was getting ready to say something bad, child. I was getting ready to say something bad. And I'm glad the Lord worked with me on that one. Uh, you might find another place that is more suitable to what it is that you believe that you need in order to go where you need to go. Ta-da! I did a good job there. Um, but the likelihood of that person becoming a black belt in jiu-jitsu, it's not going to happen. Hey, I'm a, <laughs> my man Marshall said, I need to go back and get the cussing one. And the, the, the cussing one is a good one too, Marshall. Uh, but this one yeah, I need to make sure I have one that, that Sean Smith can play for his daughter as well. Because you, you got to have that available. Um. <laughs> Sean said, I like the custom one too. But we need both, Sean. We need both. Because we don't want the we don't want the messenger to get in the way of the message. Amen. So, with that being said, as I get off of here today, one, we need to, we need to build up resilience. We need to look at how resilience is built up through the parenting process and through the coaching process. And then number two, we need to understand where the hope is. And we need to understand that from that, when you go back and you, and you listen, I want you to listen to how people have hardened their hearts so much that they look at every extension of the right hand of fellowship and every extension of hope as socialism. And number three, 
I want you to understand that whatever you do, make sure that it's done in love. This is Dr. Roddy Ferguson. Have a super fantastic day. And thank you for uh, enjoying another edition of Coffee with Roddy with me. And uh, si tu vayas, vaya con Dios. Take care.